Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Ahead of Championship Sunday, the keys for all four teams to make Super Bowl 55. Plus, reaction from the latest signings and trades in the MLB offseason. And, a week after acquiring James Harden, have the Nets entered top-tier status in the NBA? It's episode 10 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Thursday, January 21st, we welcome you once again to the newest edition of Let Me Speak. And folks, this is usually one of the best times of the year in the world of sports, pandemic or not. We've got the start of the NHL, the NBA, offseason in the MLB, but of course, Championship Sunday. That's right, the AFC and the NFC Championship are taking place between the final four teams. And I got to tell you, honestly, we got the four top teams from the NFL in this game. I will go out on a limb and say it right there. The four best teams. And we will start, obviously, with the first game, and that's the Battle of the Bays in the NFC Championship between the Bucks and the Packers. Now, not only this, but it's the two future Hall of Famers, the two guys who wear number 12, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And what's funny about this is that these two teams are so better and different. They're so much different and better from the last time they played in Week 6. If you remember that from Week 6, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers got absolutely embarrassed in Tampa Bay, losing 38-10. to Aaron Rodgers only throwing for 160 yards and two interceptions. And the team in total only gained 201 yards. So this is going to be so much different from back in week six. But going back to last week in those divisional games, Tampa Bay, they looked great against New Orleans. And I know I picked New Orleans to pick this one, but this was really the only game where you could really go 50-50 on this. Because Tampa Bay, they've gotten better as the season has progressed. And I know there were questions because they played a lot of weak teams near the end of the regular season. Then they got the win against Washington. So this was really their first true test in a long time, and they stepped up to it. I mean, I had questions about that defense for Tampa, and they looked great. Devin White was everywhere. The team forced four turnovers, including three interceptions by Drew Brees. But the biggest thing I saw, they did not commit a single turnover in that game. And that was huge to go along with that balance attack on offense. Tom Brady throwing for almost 200 yards. The team rushing for 127. It was a great performance by Tampa Bay, and I would call it the performance of the year because New Orleans is one of the few teams this year that has had success against Tampa. They beat them twice. 
They always say it's hard to beat them a third time. You don't think Tampa had that on their mind? They clearly did. But as good as that performance was, they're going to need to do that again against this Packers team. Because honestly, I think this Packers team is much better than the Saints team. Obviously, the Packers number one, Saints number two. But the Saints are a divisional opponent. Okay, This Packers team is completely different. Different quarterback, different system, almost a different everything. So they need a repeat performance from what they did against New Orleans last week. They That defense needs to force Aaron Rodgers into making those mistakes, get him to throw a few picks, and not only that, but make him throw those picks in your own territory because that is what really helped set up the Buccaneers' scoring drives was that they got those turnovers, they gave the Bucs a short field, and that's what helped Tampa score those touchdowns. And not only that, but they need more run support. All right, They need big gains from Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, and even Keyshawn Vaughn if he gets a few carries in there. But another thing is that Tom Brady needs to have a great game. Not a good game, a great game. Because again, he only he threw for less than 200 yards, just a shade under it at 199. And then the last time these two teams met in Tampa, he threw for 166. All right, you can't do that against a Packers team like this. I know it's been a lot of low-scoring defensive games, but this is going to have to be a high-scoring game for Tampa to win this one. They really do. Because Tom Brady, he needs to unleash himself and be that difference maker, get all of his guys involved. I'm talking Mike Evans, Cameron Bray, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin. They have so many weapons, and they need to use all of them. All of them to get past this defense. Because Green Bay is no slouch. I mean, they're number one for a reason, obviously. And what they did against the Rams at home, they just kept it rolling. They have been on a tremendous roll in the last couple of weeks, including the postseason. And it just kept going there. I mean, what that defense did, that was really the biggest question for me, is what could that defense do against the Rams? They clearly shut them down. 244 yards allowed. And not only that, but the Rams were 2-for-8 on third down. 2-for-8. And they only gave them 23 minutes and 48 seconds for time of possession. But their offense, whew, carry them through that game. Nearly 500 yards, nearly two of 200 of them on the ground. And they held the ball for over 36 minutes. Okay, and that is the key for the Packers, is they have to control the tempo and the time of possession. They need to keep Tom Brady off of the field. Need to keep that Bucks offense off of the field. And we've seen that as a strategy throughout the years for teams that beat Tom Brady when he was with the Patriots, is to keep him off the field. And that's what the Packers need to do. And not only that, but I mentioned it before, Aaron Rodgers, he can't have a Drew Brees performance. He can't make those mistakes. He can't make the bad throws. He's got to be smart with the ball. Don't turn it over. And the Packers should be successful. And like I said, you cannot give them great field position. You can't give the Bucks great field position. So if anything, you want to make those mistakes on the other side of the field. That's what you want to do. You can't give Tampa a short field. But the underlying thing out of all of this, for me at least, is that they're playing in Lambeau, in Green Bay. I said it last week. 
Lambeau Field in the postseason, a very difficult place to win. Not many teams have done it in history. But this is a very tough place to play. I mean, Tom Brady, he's only been to Lambeau twice, okay? And he's 1-1 one and one in his career. The only win came in November of 2006 against Brett Favre, which was 35 to nothing, okay? This isn't November. This isn't 2006. This isn't Brett Favre. This is Aaron Rodgers in January. Not many guys beat Aaron Rodgers in January in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I think that is the difference in this game, and that's why I'm going to pick the Green Bay Packers to advance to the Super Bowl. That's the big difference right there. I know Tom, he played in New England. New England doesn't have the cold that Green Bay does. This is a completely different place. The Packers started allowing fans. We know how crazy those fans are. I think that's the difference. I think Green Bay will explode on offense. They'll use the home field to their advantage, and they will win this game and get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2011. But who are their opponents going to be could be the big question. Because the AFC Championship game, just as even possibly between the Bills and the Chiefs. Now, I will say that these are the two best AFC teams. The right two made it. These were the top two teams all year long, and they deserved to be here. They both earned their way. Now, what's interesting is that the Bills and the Chiefs also played each other in Week 6 earlier this season. Kind of a little bit of NFL irony, if you ask me. You got both games against teams that played each other in the same week, okay? But this that was a whole different game in Week 6, okay? Because remember, Buffalo had so many schedule changes from the Titans and their COVID outbreak. Not only that, but Kansas City had eight days off. Buffalo only had six days. And that defense just didn't play well, allowing 466 yards, 245 of them on the ground. So it was a completely different it was a completely different time. This this is gonna be the best game. Okay? Because Buffalo and Kansas City have the proper amount of time to get ready. But of course the big question is Patrick Mahomes' injury, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I want to dive into Buffalo. Because Buffalo they should have an easier time against this Kansas City team than they did against Baltimore, okay? Because they allowed 340 yards to the Ravens, but 220 were what they gained on offense, okay? And they were minus over 11 minutes in time of possession, and they were 4 of 13 on third down. But obviously the big thing was that pick 6, the Ravens going 0-3 in the red zone, that was the big difference. But it was just not a good game offensively for the Bills. And I think this is going to be different because I think the Ravens' defense, more stingier, more tough than Kansas City's defense. I know Kansas City played great defensively, and we'll get into them in a little bit. But Buffalo, their defense has got a bigger challenge here against Kansas City. They need to step up and contain this offense. They have so many weapons. They have to slow down Tyree Kill. They have to take Travis Kelsey out of the game. They need to shut down the running game. 
And don't get fooled by all these misdirections that Coach Andy Reid is putting together for this Chiefs team. Because they can't rely on those red zone stops like they did against the Ravens. And then Josh Allen, he's got to establish himself. Okay, He's an MVP candidate for a reason. He's got to be the best player and the best quarterback on that field no matter who is lining up for Kansas City at quarterback. He's got to be the best. Okay, because in the Week 6 matchup, he only threw for 122 yards. Last week, only threw for 206 yards. He can't hope for another 100-yard pick 6. You just can't. Now, Kansas City, though, I think they have more questions. Because obviously the question is with Patrick Mahomes. But last week against the Browns, even when Mahomes came out of that game and Cleveland made their little run, I thought they played great. That defense did answer a lot of questions, kind of similar to Tampa. They were able to step up to the to the challenge of Cleveland because Cleveland was a good offense. Got that two-headed monster at running back, only allowing 308 yards and forcing two turnovers. And that gutsy call by Andy Reid on fourth and inches in the fourth. I mean, how many coaches would do that? Okay? That is so risky, so gutsy. And honestly, that should just inspire Kansas City right then and there to want to play even better, no matter who's in that lineup. Now, the Chiefs' defense will have a tougher test because the Bills... Their offense is more dynamic. Can they stop the pass? We know they can stop the run, which is what they did last week. But if Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs can come up with that connection, if that offense for Buffalo just starts to explode, I don't know if that secondary for Kansas City will be able to stop them. I don't don't know if they will. Obviously, Tyron Matthew had a great game at safety making those big stops, getting the interception. I don't know if he alone is going to help that up. But my prediction for the game is pretty simple. If Patrick Mahomes plays, the Chiefs win. If he doesn't play, the Bills will win. Okay, I think Chad Henney, he's a great quarterback. He's a good backup, a veteran. But I just don't think he has the playmaking ability that Mahomes is able to do. You can put the offense on him. You can have him try and make these plays. But he just can't do what Patrick Mahomes does. The mobility, the throwing. I just don't think Henny can do that the same way Patrick Mahomes can. So that's how I see it. If Mahomes plays, they win. If not, they lose. But all I know is I'm going to look forward to some excellent games to find out who's going to Tampa to play in Super Bowl 55. topic that hasn't really been talked about as much and that's the MLB offseason it's been extremely quiet but now we're starting to see some moves picking up as the days and the weeks go along and we're starting to see some big names finally sign their contracts and get onto some teams and I just want to look at a few teams that I think made the best improvements in the offseason and one of them I'm looking at so far are the New York Mets now I know the Mets are marred in the controversy 
over their general manager, Jared Porter, being fired, and rightly so. I think that was the absolute correct call made by the Mets. But let's not overlook the additions that were made because they had the highest batting average in the shortened MLB season in 2020 at 272. And I think that offense just got a whole lot better. I mean, you bring in James McCann for your catcher. He did have his career best in batting average at 289 in just 31 games. But I think not only with his bat, but defensively, I think that's a great addition. A great addition for the Mets. And not only that, but how about the big trade that they made with Cleveland? Getting Francisco Lindor and getting Carlos Carrasco. Getting Trevor May. All right? Those are incredible moves right there that really, to me, puts the Mets back in contention. And to me, they're really on the high end of that NL East division. I I think so. Because you have the Nationals. They didn't have a good year last year. The Phillies, you still have questions with them if they can re-sign JT Real Muto. You have the Braves, obviously, who won the division. But who knows what they're going to do. I think the Mets right now are in that top tier in that division. Because you add McCann and Lindor to a lineup that was already a monster lineup. I mean, Michael Conforto, Dominic Smith, Pete Alonso, Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis, just to name a few guys. That's a great lineup to have. Those are six, maybe seven great hitters in your lineup that you have. And not only that, but you now have a beefed up pitching rotation with Carlos Carrasco, okay? You have him with Jacob deGrom, Marcus Stroman, and Noah Syndergaard. Okay, that's four well-established pitchers right there. We know deGrom is the ace, obviously. And Stroman and Syndergaard, they've had great numbers in the past as well. So I think the Mets probably made one of the biggest improvements over the offseason than any other team. One of the best. Although they didn't do better than this next team. The San Diego Padres. I mean, talk about going all in. If the Brooklyn Nets were going all in in basketball, the Padres are doing it in baseball. I mean, look at the rotation for this Padres team. You traded for Blake Snell, who only a year ago was the AL Cy Young with the Tampa Bay Rays. Then you also bring in Hugh Darvish from the Cubs, who was second in the NL Cy Young voting from last season. And not only that, but you have Chris Paddock, who had great numbers before his injury, and with some proper time off, he could get himself back to that status. You have Denelson Lamet, fifth last year in the MLB in ERA, and Zach Davies, who was tied for third in the MLB with seven wins and was in the top 10 in ERA. All right, you want to talk about a pitching rotation one through five that no one wants to face. That is it right there. That is it right there. And not only that, but a great bullpen as well. And don't forget what they made for their lineup, getting the international sensation Ha Seung Kim in their lineup. Put him in a lineup with Manny Machado, with the young superstar Fernando Tatis Jr., bring him in with Will Myers, Eric Hosmer, Tommy Pham, 
And maybe a sneaky name on this is Jake Cronenworth. Okay, he had a 285 average last year, so he's a sleeper. So I think the Padres, they probably made the best, the best moves in the offseason because they see the success that they have. They saw themselves get to the postseason last year, and they are in the mentality of just a handful of pieces will get them to World Series status. And I think right behind the Dodgers now. You know, you have the Dodgers number one, obviously, is the champs, but they are a very close second. And they're in the same division, too, in that NL West. Now, one other question I have for that team, though, is if they can sign Jurickson Profar. All right, he had that 278 average, and I think that would just really strengthen up the outfield, which really, I think, could be just one of the minor flaws that they have right now. I mean, they got Will Myers, obviously, but the rest of that outfield still feels like a bit of a couple question marks, but that's a very, very small question mark for them. The Padres made the best improvements in the offseason. Now, one other team going into the American League that I think made a great signing were the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I'm sort of in this mentality of if you can get a top three free agent to sign with you, then you're already winners. And I think Toronto is a great team for George Springer to go to. All right, signing six years, $150 million. Remember, this was a team, though they didn't have the best record and a sub-500 record, they still made the postseason. They got into that playoff play-in game, the wild card game, with the eventual American League champion Tampa Bay Rays. All right, and remember... All of the pieces that they have in that lineup. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, Rowdy Telez, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio. All right, put George Springer into that lineup, and that just gets a whole lot better in my eyes. Because Toronto, they're the kind of team that you are going to have to outscore them. Basically, the pitching, I still have a couple of questions on right now, but that lineup just looks incredible. It's an incredible lineup up there in Toronto, and this could be a team that scores six to seven runs a game and could be leading not only the American League, but the entire MLB in runs scored. Now, like I said, the pitching still has some questions, but they do have the established ace. They have Hun Jin Ryu who, if you remember, started a National League All-Star game just a handful of years ago. All right, so it's not like he's totally far removed from that. He didn't have great numbers last year in his first season with the Blue Jays. But I think Toronto could be that team that you have to look out for. Maybe not World Series status, but one of those Cinderella teams that goes on a playoff run, possibly, with this addition of George Springer. Because the way they're going to do that is with their offense. And maybe if they can get some pitching going, if they just get a little bit of a roll going, they might be able to find themselves back in the postseason. But hey, we're only talking in January. Spring training doesn't start till March, so there's still plenty of offseason moves that could happen before spring training.
I want to talk about a topic that I had discussed. I shouldn't even say discussed. I should say ranted on last week. And that was the James Harden trade to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I was one to criticize that trade. But the way they looked so far, for right now, I'm eating my words. Because James Harden coming out with those triple doubles in his first two games, it was great. And then Kevin Durant having that scoring, looking great. But of course, the big question is, can the big three, that is when Kyrie Irving comes back in, are those three going to be able to work together? And last night, they played well, and obviously Colin Sexton made that huge run, and they dropped that game in double overtime. But that just sort of got me thinking, are these Nets really on championship status? And that is going to lead into the newest segment known as Hot Takes. Oh, hot, 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 hot. So the Nets, obviously they look good in their first couple of games with James Harden. But I'm still questioning that depth that they have. I still think they gave up too much to win now. All right? Even to win now. Your only established center is DeAndre Jordan. That means when your bench comes in, you're going to need Kevin Durant to play the center spot, Nicholas Claxton to play the center spot. Small ball works a handful of times. You know, for the Golden State Warriors, they played small ball during their run with the dynasty. They get an Andre Iguodala in that first championship in 2015. But that was just different because they were a great defensive team. Okay? I'm not sure if this, these nets are the exact same way. And not only that, but the pieces that they have. You have a mix of veteran and youth. And I'm not sure they have that. I mean, Jeff Green, Joe Harris, Luwalu, Cabarro. I hope I'm saying that name right. Bruce Brown, Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit. I don't know if those are the pieces off the bench that will help you win that championship. So basically to answer the overall question that I posed is are the Brooklyn Nets title contenders? No. Not right now. Okay? This question could totally be answered months when we get into the postseason. Because I think for sure they'll get into the postseason as a top four. At the minimum, a top four. But I just don't know if they are up there. I look at so many teams that are better than them right now. Better than the Nets. I got in no particular order. I have the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Clippers, the Phoenix Suns. Right now I'll put in there. Even the Utah Jazz, I'll put in there. But this is at this moment, on Thursday, January 21st, the Brooklyn Nets are not title contenders yet. Because we know that James Harden and KD can play great together. But the big question is, can the three of them play together? And the three, I mean Kyrie Irving. Because like I said, like I said, this trade was made to form a big three. And obviously, Kyrie Irving being the headache off the court, along with James Harden off the court, is completely different from what they do on the court. That is the question I have for this Nets team. And I've said it in the past. You have two ISO dribble guys that either shoot threes or lay it in. 
I don't know if those two can work together. You know, like last year. Russell Westbrook, the exact same way. That didn't work. I see a bunch of other situations. And I really like what Shaquille O'Neal said last week during Inside the NBA. Harden's been getting all this stuff in Houston, and he just hasn't made it work. All right, that's on him. And saying he gave everything to Houston, he clearly didn't. I'm riding with Shaq on this one. I am really riding with Shaq on this one. Because I think this Nets team is good enough to the postseason, but we're only talking about this team when they get to the playoffs. If they can hang with all of those teams that I just mentioned. I don't know if that is the case. We're only talking January. Playoffs don't happen for a few more months. There's still time for this Nets team to either gel or fall apart. Okay? And my hot take for the week is that this Nets team are just not title contenders. And I think that includes getting to the postseason. Because I don't think they have the defense to stop Giannis. I don't know if they have the defense to stop Embiid. I don't know if they can shut down the scoring of Tatum and Brown in the Celtics. And even in the West, you can't compete with the Lakers. No one can compete with the Lakers right now. But there's still plenty of time for Brooklyn to go and prove me wrong. There's still plenty of time for Brooklyn to go prove me wrong. Like I said, we're still months away. But as of this moment, the Nets are not title contenders. And that is my hot take of the week. Once again, time to get local. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. Now, last week we had talked about the Bruins and the Celtics returning to action in their respective floors. Obviously, the Bruins were starting up their season and the Celtics were hit with the COVID crisis. So they both returned to action. And let's just see and talk about what they've done. And we'll start with the Bruins. And boy, that offense just continues to struggle and struggle. It almost feels like that dark cloud that followed him in Toronto in that bubble has come with them into 2021. Because in that bubble in Toronto, they never scored more than four goals in a game. Never scored more than four. And so far this year, they haven't scored more than three. Three times. And it was only a 3-2 shootout against the Devils in the very first game. And don't forget that... They have not scored a 5-on-5 goal yet this year. Not yet, 5-on-5. Two on the power play, one shorthanded. This is an offense that cannot win if they sustain. I understand it's early, and we're only three games in. They've got their fourth game coming up tonight. But the offense, the way it is going, cannot win in this league. You, You just can't. Offense dominates and obviously they have the pieces on defense they have Tuka Rask in net they have a ton of great defenders but they just can't score the puck they can't they just can't you have tremendous talent offense all around the league all right you can't do this 
okay? Because you can't rely on Tuka Rask the entire time. He's third right now in the goals against average category in the entire NHL. But the rest of your team, you cannot have this happen. You just can't. This Bruins team needs to find a way to put that puck in the net. All right? They're going to have to start tonight when they host the Flyers for their first home game. So maybe being at home on the TD Garden Ice will help them out. But so far, in their two games against the Devils and one against the Islanders, this is not the team that is made to make a postseason run. They're just not. Absolutely not. All right? Your leading point scorer right now is Brad Marchand. Three points in three games. All right? That's not going to win. That is not going to win. So Marshawn, Bergeron, Krejci, Grizzly, Richie, all of them, all of them need to pick up their game. Every single skater on that ice needs to pick it up. Otherwise, this team won't even make the postseason. Won't even make the postseason if this offense continues the way it is. But you know an offense that isn't struggling right now? That's the Celtics. Now, I say that very loosely. This is minus the Knicks game on Sunday where they lost by 30. And then obviously last night against the 76ers. But this team returning to action. Had a great win against the Magic. But then they've dropped their last couple of games. I mentioned previously to the Knicks and to the 76ers. But it does look like this team is finding their mojo with the return of Kemba Walker. Because Kemba just doesn't look like he's lost a step. And as the minutes restriction starts to get bigger and bigger, and he doesn't have to be on a restriction, he's going to get his legs under him, he's going to find his shot, and he's going to be able to take control of this offense. Now, in the past few games, you can tell how much this team really misses Jason Tatum and his shot making. Because I was watching a lot of that 76ers game. And when Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker were off the floor, there's no other offensive weapon. All right, You're not going to run the offense through Marcus Smart because he's too inconsistent. You're not going to run it through Peyton Pritchard because he's too young. So that is the big thing. And that's what I think makes the Celtics team so dynamic is they have three shot makers and incredible offensive players where you could rest two at a time and keep one of them in. And you won't lose a step. That's really the big thing. And not only that, but the return of Rob Williams. I know he didn't play against Philadelphia last night. But at least getting him back into the rotation a little bit will definitely open some things up on the offense for him, for Tristan Thompson, for Daniel Tice. By the way, Daniel Tice played great in that game against Philadelphia. And I know it was mostly his points in the paint. But he just played great. Great. He's excellent on that pick and roll. And he's really making teams pay when they either double team the ball handler or they're trailing on the play. Because Tice is a tremendous off ball mover. All right. When he's off the ball and he's in that screen, he's great. He still has some questions on the defensive end. He doesn't need to be complaining every single time a foul goes against him. But he is going to be really that X-factor that I've talked about for in past episodes. He's that X-factor down low that you really want to have in your rotation. If not in your starting lineup, 
than at least off the bench. But I think the return of Jason Tatum is going to be absolutely huge. Now, he, the reports are saying that he's 50-50 for the game on Friday against the 76ers. If not then, possibly this weekend. But I think him returning to that lineup is going to be absolutely huge for this team. Because you have guys like Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown who sort of feed off of Tatum and his ability to make shots and get his own points. I think everyone will feed off of that. And like I said about the offense, those questions are going to sort of disappear because you have your quote-unquote big three and you get to use that system that I just recently talked about where you could sit two and keep one in. Obviously, those will help with Jason Tatum returning. And not only that, but you have a ton of depth. You have Grant Williams, who's played great. I had mentioned last week about Shemi Ojale, Javante Green losing minutes. I might need to take that back because they've both of them have played great, especially on the defensive end. They played great against Philly last night. I think this rotation still is going to be the big question. Are they going to be able to step up to the challenge? Because they have the pieces, but they just haven't had a full, healthy rotation. All right, there's always been one guy out with an injury or out via COVID-19. That's the big thing is once this team has all of its pieces healthy and playing together, that's when they are at their most dangerous. And who knows if we're ever going to see that in the regular season. But the way they're sitting right now, near the top of the Eastern Conference, I think if they hover in that area, if they're number two or number three, I think they could once again go for a deep postseason run. But, I mean, we're only talking January for the Bruins and the Celtics. We'll have to see what happens when we get closer to postseason action. Now to wrap things up, we once again go to our head-scratcher LOL moment of the week. Now, this moment was actually submitted by one of the listeners of this podcast. Shout-out to Emmy Provost, who actually sent this in as a submission for head-scratcher LOL. And so to honor Emmy, I'm going to put this moment in that category. So this week's head-scratcher LOL moment of the week is going to... Taryn Johnson. Now, for those of you that don't know the name, Taryn Johnson, third-year cornerback out of Weber State. He is the man who made the pick six for the Buffalo Bills against the Baltimore Ravens and took it 101 yards to the house and essentially was the difference in that game. Now, how does that play make him a head-scratcher LOL? Well, I'll tell you. If you've watched the NFL Combine in recent years, you will find a viral video of a player doing the timing catching drill. I'm not sure exactly what the the name of that is, but it's basically you're ready, you turn, you catch, you turn, you catch, and then you run down the line where you catch some footballs and take off. I don't know the name of that drill. Probably someone will quiz me on that one later on. But there's a video in that drill where a guy gets hit 
in the head because he looked the wrong way. And that guy was Taron Johnson. So he had the catch reaction drill. He caught the first two. He ran down and he just looked the wrong way and got hit in the head. He got hit in the head because he looked the wrong way. Now credit, he did finish out the drill. He caught all of them and that turned him into an NFL cornerback and what led him to the pick six. But just let this be a reminder for people out there that young guys can improve in this league, okay? You can get hit in the head in the combine, and then you just need a few more years, and now you're returning interceptions for a touchdown in an NFL divisional game. It is living proof that young guys learn in this league. They do learn, and they improve in the NFL. They really do. I, I never would have expected it. Obviously, you see some jumps with quarterbacks or wide receivers, anything like that. But to go from getting hit in the head in a drill to now returning an interception 100 yards for a touchdown, that's the best improvement I've ever seen anyone make in the NFL. The best improvement ever. I'll say it. Ever. Okay, making a mistake like that and then pulling out a clutch pick six in a divisional round to clinch your spot in the AFC Championship and maybe, depending on how this weekend goes to the Super Bowl, give that guy tons of credit. Now, I will say, Taron Johnson, it's not your fault entirely. This was three years ago. Three years ago. But just... There's no player who ever, not to my memory, there's no player who had ever made sort of a blooper like that and then go on to make such a huge play, such like that. Not one that just clicks right off the top of my mind. So, Taron Johnson, I know you're not getting hit in the head now. You're a great cornerback. You're one of the guys who really has to play well against Kansas City to Play in the Super Bowl, essentially, to get yourself in the Super Bowl. Just as long as you don't get hit in the head. Once again, thanks to Emmy Provost for sending in her nominee for Head Scratcher LOL Moment of the Week. And you can submit your nominees as well. Just go onto Twitter and find the handle at LetMeSpeak underscore pod. Or if you don't like that, go to Instagram. Send me a DM at LetMeSpeak underscore official. And hey, if you want to be old school, Find our Facebook page, Let Me Speak Podcast. But for this week, Taryn Johnson, you are the head scratcher, LOL. Moment of the week. So that will wrap up another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. And remember, if you've got something you got to get off your chest, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak. <laughs> <laughs>